We are tonight in Mark chapter 13, uh, looking at the, the second night of talking about the uh, abomination that causes desolation. We, I introduced it last week. I kind of want to clean it up. On the page one, uh, this is the verse we're looking at, chapter 13, verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, Jesus just got done talking about a variety of things leading up to this verse, a lot of it about wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, and he says these are not, this is not the end. The end is still to come. These are things are going to take place in history. And leading up to this, the question was, what will be the sign that this, this temple will, will fall down? Jesus says, there won't be one stone left upon another. He says, well, what, when will this happen and what will be the sign? And Jesus begins by telling him, like we went through a couple of weeks ago, uh, the things that are not, these are not signs. Life is going to continue. Understand, this is kind of, I'm going to try to end the night with this point, but one of the things that and I'm tempted to do, and I've done it in the past, is you try to figure out and, and predict when the end is going to come. Uh, but church, church history, uh, since Jesus has ascended into heaven, everyone that was a, has, was a believer has lived, served, and died, and, and it, they, it, it served them no advantage of knowing when Jesus was coming back. Many of them thought, ah, here's a sure sign, Jesus coming back, we've lived long enough that we can remember, I can remember, you know, the signs that Jesus is coming back soon in the 70s, and then in the 80s, you know, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988, 40 years after the Jews returned, you know, 1948, 1988, surely he's coming back this year. And it, 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 I know the feeling that it kind of becomes this anticipation that's like, hey, Jesus is coming back, we're going to escape this mess, we're going into the kingdom, and all of a sudden, your focus is almost on looking for signs that gives you an excuse uh, not to have to worry about what's going to happen in the future, in your life, in your ministry, in your service to the king. At this time, uh, as a teacher, it's kind of like uh, watching the weather report on a winter night, seeing a snowstorm come in, trying to anticipate how many inches of snow we're going to get, and I'm not going to have to go to work tomorrow. And then sure enough, I wait and wait, and no one calls off school, and I've got to go to work. It's like it did me no good sitting anticipating. I should have been, you know, probably just going to bed, getting a good night's sleep. But again, I would use that as a comparison, is we've got this information like a weather report. Jesus is coming back. When is he coming? Well, he is coming back, but you don't need to know that. It, it's a mystery, and the whole thing here, he keeps saying, these are not, these things are not signs that the end is near. But what is going to take place is going to take place 66 to 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the dispersion of the Jews again, especially after the Bar Kokhba revolt from 132 to 135, uh, there's, they're going to be scattered. But during this whole time, that was not, this is not the end. This is life. You're going to have to serve. You're going to have to, the key, you're going to have to endure. There's going to be terrible times during all of this. But this verse right here seems to be a hinge, a hinge verse. Uh, and we'll go back and talk about this. Uh, what are the signs of uh, what uh, that uh, these things will happen these things and jesus is going to be talking about these things leading up to 70 or just basic history 
And then Mark 13, the abomination that causes desolation, when it is set up, that is going to start aiming towards those days. And so there's going to be a switch right here in this verse from these things that are going to take place during history leading up to the fall of Jerusalem and then on after. And Jesus never gives an indication that once you see these things, you can just kind of sit back and wait for, look up, you know, Jesus coming back. He's, he's going to talk about the things you're going to have to endure during history. But then in those days, those days will begin when Mark 13 takes place. And again, Mark 13, as we said right here, uh, but when you see the abomination of desolation, and we, we're going to talk about it again tonight, uh, the abomination that is uh, an idol or something that causes uh, defilement. And desolation would be the shutting down a defiled temple. So it's an idol, it's a philosophy, it's something, it's some kind of sacrilegious thing that causes the operation of the temple to cease. It, it's, it's no longer good, it's broken. And it is in the neuter sense, meaning it's a thing. And that, that, is, that is important in this verse. But when you see the abomination uh, that causes desolation, or the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to stand, and in the English Standard Version, it adds that word he, or it picks that word he, a man, because the word standing, <coughs> as I've got in the box there, is again in the masculine. It refers to a person. It, it, a, a thing isn't going to be a he, a person standing. And it, it's not correct Greek. It, it's, it's an air. It's something you're going to want to fix. And uh, that's why the next line immediately says, where it should not uh, be, then it says, let the reader understand. And it's in parentheses, let the reader understand. <coughs> and I said last week, it's kind of like in our, our writing, and I'm trying to find my notes here and show you where it, we use this. When you say something, like if you're quoting someone, uh, you know, you're interviewing someone and they say a certain quote and they don't use the right phrase, phrases or they don't use the right uh, match of the, uh, the, the verbs, uh, then you would do something like this. You'd put this, I'm looking for my notes here. Where have I got that? Yeah, there it is, page two. Point D at the top, the word abomination, that is the abomination that causes desolation, is neuter, is a neuter noun or a thing like an image or an idol. Contrary to proper Greek language structure, this neuter, abomination, is then said to be standing in the masculine, and that that's wrong. The verb for the neuter noun is masculine. Uh, this is not written correctly. This may be why Mark added immediately, let the reader understand. He says, I'm writing this incorrectly. Let the reader understand. That's the way it comes across as being translated. Uh, the reader was to understand that this was an intentional uh, correlation of the neuter with the masculine because the thing that desolates the temple will be a man. That, that's what it's, that's, that would be the simplest way for Mark to be saying, this thing that's going to be an idol, that's going to desecrate the temple, like what happened in... Uh, 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 the salute, days of solution, when they brought in an image, when they brought in a pig, they brought in a thing, that's going to happen, but it's going to be a he. This time it's going to be an actual person that's going to do it. Uh, now again, this could take place in 66, 70 AD, or it could take place 
in the distant future. Uh, point five right there, we would write in English using the SIC, uh, which is sick, used in brackets after copy or quoted a word that appears odd or an error, like it's spelled wrong, to show that the word is quoted exactly as it stands in the original. So what in the original, in other words, Jesus' words were this. And Mark is saying, this is the way it was handed to be by, by Peter, if that's how it came to Mark. This is the way it was given to us, and it's not right, but this is the quote. It's, it's the thing that is a man. It's like, well, that, that, that's wrong. That's the way it was. Let the reader understand. That's the way the quote was given to me. That's probably what that means when it says, let the reader understand. Uh, this verse could be written like this. When you, see that, when you see that thing, the abomination of desolation, standing where he, S-I-C, should not be. That's the way, if we were doing it in English, let the reader understand, you know, they didn't have that form. So that, see that thing standing where he should not be. And that is what is being said right there. And so that uh, leads us to uh, the, the very last option we've got. And I'm going to read through the options of when this could have taken place. And I referred to it last week. Uh, you see point, go back to page one. This reference comes out of Daniel. We ended last week reading these references of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, 11, verse 31, chapter 12, verse 11 through 12. One of them is clearly talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. It, it's talking about the Maccabean Revolt. That is one of the quotes. But definitely the last one and another one, uh, chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, is talking about the end of time. It is way beyond the Maccabean Revolt, way past 167 B.C. And that's chapter 12, verse 11 through 12, when it says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for 1,335 days. And again, we went through that last week. There's three and a half years, the second half of the terrible uh, great tribulation or the second half of the 70th week is three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days. But you're adding to that 1,260 days or that 42 months, that, that three and a half years, another 30 days. And then that's when the abomination is taken down. And then you're waiting another 45 days uh, to be blessed because apparently you're in the kingdom. So there's a period of 75 days uh, that takes place. And that is all the time that's going to be occurring after Jesus apparently returns and between that setting up of the kingdom. And that, that is that issue right there. Now, go to page two. <coughs> and again, in review, because this is fair. I mean, we need to be fair about this. Uh, one, I just want to rush into end times and say it's the Antichrist. But we need to consider these other options. But also, we don't want to just run into the end times and start living like everything's the end times. Because the end times has not been here for, in a sense, what we call the end times, the return of Christ, has not been here for 2,000 years. <clears throat> so for 2,000 years of church history, every believer has had to live their life, serve the Lord, die, and go on into eternity without the hope of the rapture. I mean, no one's, no one's had the hope of the rapture. Uh, understand, we've got hope of eternity. We've got hope in Christ. But some people make a big deal about 
the rapture is going to deliver us. It's going to deliver a generation. Indeed, there's going to be a generation that is raptured. But until that time, no one is getting raptured. I mean, unless you're going to have some kind of a special encounter with the Lord, everyone is going to have to live, serve, endure, suffer, produce fruit, live their life, and die like a man and enter into eternity. But I had the hope of the rapture. Well, how'd that serve you? It hasn't served anybody, and I'm not I'm by no means belittling the rapture, but the message of this is not, don't worry, Christians, there's a rapture. Well, we have for 2,000 years worried, and nothing's happened to us. We've never been raptured. Again, I'm not dis- I believe the rapture is going to take place, but Jesus' words are nowhere in here, relax, guys, don't worry, I'm going to come back and rapture a generation. Oh, well, I hope it's next week or next generation because if it's in 2023, this will be 2,000 years of church history, that what do we do while we're just waiting? I mean, the church is not a group of people standing on a mountain waiting for Jesus to come get them. They're engaging in life. And that's kind of what this is talking about. So there's a balance between just rushing to the end and discounting all of history or getting lost in history and forgetting about the end. Again, once again, it's a balance. So here we go. The options for the time of the abomination of desolation. And this, again, in review. The Maccabean Revolt. In 167, in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes set up a small altar and dedicated uh, an image of Zeus and sacrificed the pig. And it was an abomination, an idol, and it defiled the temple, and it, it shut it down. They did not use the temple again until they can come back and clean the whole thing up after the Maccabees had regained control of Jerusalem. <laughs> so it was fulfilled in 167 B.C. But yet there were two other prophecies about the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel spoke of and Jesus referred to, and they could have taken place uh, during the Roman Wars. They could have taken place. Now, some people will go here, and I don't want to discount this, between 167, or between 60, 66 and 70 AD, the Roman Wars. Uh, interestingly, if you don't mind, in Luke 21 20, it says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come. So, Mark writes, The abomination of desolation. Luke doesn't write, write about that, but he does write about the desolation. So you've got the abomination that causes desolation. Luke does not write about the abomination, but does write about the desolation. And when does the desolation take place? When you see the Roman armies. So if you were to make a parallel right there, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, you need to flee. Luke just says, the desolation is going to come when you see the Roman armies. So right there, that would make the abomination the Roman armies. If you want to stop that, I mean, that would be a match. And that gives us leeway into here that there's going to be an abomination. And indeed, there is a multiple choices of when the abomination of desolation happened in the Jewish wars. Uh, it could, first of all, come, and again, the word desolation is the same word. I've got it in parentheses there, same word that Mark uses and Matthew uses. It could have been the Romans. <laughs> the Romans could have uh, created or caused this abomination of desolation. Here's your options. 
the, le the Roman legions, the standard, the e they have a standard with an eagle on it, uh, that would have been uh, an abomination, that would have been an idol, especially when they brought it into the temple courts. And it, it was a problem. Uh, the soldiers would offer sacrifices to the Roman eagle. It was their way of setting up their, it's like putting a flag, like putting the flag on the moon. They would put the Roman eagle on the moon, but then they would offer sacrifices to it because they recognized it as a deity or a, a, a spiritual power behind their empire. Uh, again, we have a flag. We don't burn offerings to it. We say a pledge of unification, but we don't burn offerings. But you see, we could very easily, now that we could, but you see how close it would be if you were of that culture that this eagle or this standard or this flag had some kind of connection to the, the powers, then you could burn incense, you could burn sacrifice to it. The Romans would do that. Now again, Americans don't. I'm <clears throat> not encouraging us to do that. But the Roman legions themselves could be the abomination the, the, or the, the standard of the legions. In 70 AD, the Roman standard with the eagles or the images of Caesar were placed on the Temple Mount and in the temple. Now watch this. In 70 AD, this happened. They conquered Jerusalem. They busted the walls. They went into the temple courts. They had their eagles. They put their standards, and they offered sacrifices on the Temple Mount in 70 AD. Now in the context, Jesus is saying, uh, when you see... Uh, the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it should not stand. The issue, this whole chapter, this whole section here that's coming up here is about fleeing. I may get into it tonight, but it, it tells you when to flee. It tells you where to flee. It tells you how quick to flee and how important it is that you flee. And then says you better pray about when you flee because you don't want it to be winter and you don't want to be pregnant. All these verses coming after 14 are about fleeing. And again, sometimes we miss that because... I mean, I say I miss that because I'm trying to get my chart, figure out when Jesus is coming and if he's going to come back in my generation so that I don't have to do something again, or I've got an excuse. Again, I, that's not necessarily the reason, but uh, this is about fleeing. But you understand, what good would it be? Jerusalem has been under siege for four years. Uh, the walls are broken down. There's dead bodies. They have to, to get their standards into the temple. They've got to walk on dead bodies. Uh, and then Jesus, when you see that, flee. Well, okay, that, that doesn't make sense that it would be when they came in with their temple. Now, again, did they desecrate the temple? Was it abomination when they came into the temple with their, uh, their, well, their legions, their, their standards? Now, point after that, whatever the number is there, nine, uh, I'm not I'm really sure how those are numbered, uh, both Pilate and Caligal. Now, Pilate, before Jesus said this, had attempted to bring images into Jerusalem and the Jews stopped. And there was a couple, there's people died. There's like a little bit of a skirmish. I'd say a, a large skirmish because Pilate uh, did it, but he did it before Jesus referred to it. So Pilate, that situation was gone. Caligial, after the time of Christ, Caligial decided, I'm just going to bring my standards in, bring them into the, the temple. And he sent people to do this. The Jews are up in arms. What are we going to do about it? Rome and the Jews are having a confrontation. Then Caligial is assassinated. And the whole thing, it never happened. So it could have been 70 AD. It could have been Pilate, but that never really took place. It could have been Caligula's intention, but it never happened. But all of those could have been the Romans being the desolation. Or like Luke says, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem. But that's just the army surrounding it. But figure that out. The other thing it could be, it could be the Jews themselves. 
the Jews themselves are the ones that bring about the abomination that causes desolation in 66 to 70 AD. Uh, in the, watch this, are you interested? In November of 66 AD, as the war was breaking out, the Jewish forces defeated the 12th Roman legion. They defeated the 12th Roman legion that was under the command um, <coughs> of the Roman general, uh, Cestius Gallus. And when they did this, when the Jews defeated the Roman, 12th Roman legion, it's like we are on a roll. Uh, God is on our side. We are going to defeat and overthrow the Roman Empire because God wants us free. He wants us as an independent nation. So the people got excited, and uh, with that victory, the people of Jerusalem had to make a decision. Because, now watch. You just defeated the 12th Roman legion. What's going to happen? Well, either God is beginning a great victory, and you're just going to keep marching like the Maccabees did. They just kept defeating the solution. And the thing is, they've got historical example. The solution sent it out a division of 1,200 people. The Maccabees defeated them. They sent out a division of 3,000, and then 12,000, and then, you know, I, make, I can't remember the number, 35. And the, so eventually, they had to just make a treaty with them, and they created the, the, the state of Israel after the Maccabean revolt with the Hasmoneans. So this is just the beginning, they're thinking, of us defeating the Romans like our fathers did the solutions. And God is on our side. Or you could say, maybe not. You just poked the bear. You just defeated the 12th Roman legion. Uh, there's 1 through 11 before that, and 13 to how many after that. Rome is not just going to you know, go home because a little city crushed them in, the, in, in, in Israel. So some would say, oh boy, we're in trouble. This would be a good time to flee. And it comes down to your question, your answer. Is, are, are, am I going to join this rebellion and, and we're going to overthrow Rome? I mean, they come, it's like the American Revolution. We're going to rebel or we just sent our Declaration of Independence. Uh, am I going to side with the king in England or am I going to side with uh, what we call the patriots? It's like, that's why they put, we pledge our life, liberty, property, because if we win this war, we got a nation. If we lose this war, we lose our life, all of our, we lose everything. And that's exactly what the Jews were deciding right here. Uh, we defeated the 12th Roman legion. Am I going to pledge my life, liberty, and everything I've got? Or, yeah, that's dumb. Now, Jesus had already said, Luke had said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee because the desolation is near now again that doesn't mean the armies are the desolation but when you see that it's time to run and so and you this is kind of an interesting concept here these jews would have had great faith in god we would say presumptuous faith because god's not promising that he's going to deliver them but they're going to risk everything it is at this time right around 66 especially 68 a.d the Christians decide, yeah, we're not, we're not down with this. And if you don't mind, turn to page <coughs> 6, and here is just some quotes. Uh, this is Eusebius, 
the church historian writing 325, 350 during Constantine's time, recording the first 300 years of church history. And he's he's not just making it up. He's using resources that are available to him, other writings, other church fathers before him for the first two, 300 years. Uh, Most of those things have been lost. We know of these people and we know of their writings because Eusebius quoted them and put sections of their writings in his works. But otherwise, the original works have been lost. So Eusebius. The other is Epiphranius. Epiphranius. Franus. Uh, he was uh, from uh, Cyprus, and he was a, uh, an apologist uh, right around between 100, excuse me, between 310 and 403, he was an apologist. And that's, that's that time where the apologists like Justin Martyr and Tertullian, more, he was more like 200 A.D., but they were writing the, the, the Roman uh, emperors explaining Christianity to them, saying, you don't need to kill us. We, we have our own hospitals. We have our own schools. We pay our taxes. We support our government, but we also support our God. There's, we're no threat to you. And these apologists began to explain Christianity that eventually is going to lead to Constantine and others. Again, they face great persecution. But Epiph- Epiphanius... Uh, Epiphanus was uh, one of those, and also uh, he was a bishop on uh, 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 Cyprus. Excuse me, I said that wrong. He was a bishop on Cyprus, but both him and Eusebius used this guy named Ariston of Pella, and he was an apologist and, and a writer of history between 100 and 160 A.D. in Decapolis. And so this information we're going to read to you comes from Ariston from 100 to 160 A.D., who was writing over in Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And two people, Eusebius and Epiphanus, uh, quote them. Here we go. I'm going to read to you what what they wrote uh, concerning this time period, 6670 A.D. The people of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city who were worthy of it to depart and dwell in one of the cities of Perea, that's on the other side of the Jordan, which they called Pella. That's up north of Perea in a place called Decapolis, the ten cities, the ten Gentile cities uh, on on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. To it, those who believed on Christ traveled from Jerusalem or fled from Jerusalem so that when the holy men had altogether deserted the royal capital of the Jews and the whole land of Judea, then the wars intensified. Now, Epiphanius writes, The heresy of the Nazareans existed in Borea, in the neighborhood of Col, Syria, and the Decapolis. He's writing about a false religion. In the region of Pella, uh, uh, in the so-called Kokoba, or Kokoba in the Hebrew. From there it took its beginnings after the exodus from Jerusalem when all the peoples went to live in Pella because Christ had told them to leave Jerusalem. So he's writing about this false teaching, and it says it came to dwell there when everyone left Jerusalem, as Christ said, and to go away since it would undergo a siege. Because of this advice, they lived in Perea after having moved to that place, as I said. I'm going on, go on. For after all those who had believed in Christ had generally come to live in Perea, after all those in Jerusalem who had believed in Christ were in Perea, in Pella, 
in a city called Pella of Decapolis, of which it is written in the Gospels that it is situated in the neighborhood of the region of Batania and Basantius. Uh, Ebon's preaching originated here after they had moved to this place and had lived there. He's talking about this particular preacher who I think was going off base. So Aquila, he writes again, while he was in Jerusalem, also saw the disciples of the disciples of the apostles. Now, this is now, he's, these are different sections. And now he's writing after 132 and 135. He's writing after 135, after the Bar Kokhba revolt or the second Jewish revolt. He's now talking about what he saw, this individual saw in Jerusalem. Because the people had gone to Decapolis say 68 AD, 66 to 68 AD, they'd stayed there until 135 AD, and after the Bar revolt and the Jews had been completely dispersed, they moved back, and these now are the disciples of the apostles' disciples, if that makes sense. It'd be like a third generation. So Aquila, while he was in Jerusalem at that time, also saw the disciples of the disciples of the apostles, flourishing in the faith and working great signs healings and other miracles for they were such as had come back from the city of Pella to Jerusalem and were living there and teaching now I want you to notice this there in this case the fleeing was not to flee to be delivered into heaven or to be raptured this fleeing was to avoid the discipline of the Jews so you could endure and then return and continue the work of the ministry or whatever God's got planned. And you can hear that in Jesus' words in Mark if you look at it that way. He says, when you see this and you see that, that's not the sign of the end. These things are going to happen, but the end is still to come. You're going to have to endure. You're going to be betrayed. There's going to be false teachers. You're going to endure all of these things. People are going to take you to court. They're going to put you in prison. Some of you are going to die. What about the rapture? Don't worry about the rapture. It's going to be 2,000 years. Some of you are going to go to flee to Decapolis. And then at 135, we're going to bring some of your family members back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the church in Jerusalem. And then what's going to happen? There's going to be earthquakes and famines and more wars. But the end is not. So almost here and here, we're looking for, we're talking about a lifestyle, not a promise of escape. We're not talking about knowing and understanding watch we're not talking about learning and understanding the mysteries of when is jesus coming back but instead a way of life until jesus comes. yes jesus is coming back but what you need to understand that's out of your hands you you can't just live your life knowing jesus is going to come back you need to know how to live from point a all the way to point z how do you endure and that is what jesus is talking to the disciples about here he's not telling them some secret mystery on how to put together and figure out when jesus comes back but he's telling them flat out, it's going to be tough, endure, and accomplish. And that's what they're doing right here. They came back from the city of Pella, for when the city was about to be taken and destroyed by the Romans, it was revealed in advance to all the disciples by an angel of God, he adds, that they should remove from the city as it was going to be completely destroyed. So in 66 AD, there had a revelation. Now that, that oracle could be Jesus' words. It could be a prophetic word. Here he says, an angel revealed it, however you want to slice or dice it. Jesus had already told them, flee. Uh, <clears throat> and the city was destroyed. They sojourned as immigrants in Pella, the city above mentioned in Transjordan, 
and this city is said to be of the Decapolis. And then I've got it written right there uh, where this comes from and what was taking place. So we go back to this right here. <coughs> go back to page two. I appreciate your patience. We are on page two, and we're talking about the Jews now being this. We talk about the desolation that causes, uh, the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, it could be Antiochus Epiphanes. Indeed, Daniel referred to reference that. Or it could be something the Romans did uh, coming into the city. Uh, you can match, pick that. It could be encircling it. It could be knocking on the walls. Uh, but really, they didn't do anything in the temple until the city was destroyed because the Jews went to the temple. Watch, the Jews went to the temple and made it their fortress. And now we come in, what could the Jews have done to create the abomination that causes a desolation? Well, they defeated, the, in, in a 66 AD, they defeat the 12th Roman legion, and now you've got to decide. We just defeated a legion of the Romans. God is going to continue to deliver us, or that was a very bad idea, and we're in huge trouble because we're going to get smoked now. And uh, that's indeed what happened. Many people, the Christians, if they remember the words of Christ, which wasn't that long ago, Mark is just writing this. If Mark is writing this, in 65 AD, uh, we're three years away from, uh, you've got to have made your decision. It's 68 AD, and you're either going to die in Jerusalem, or you've already left. So you're within three years of, hey, that's why you can say, you know, let the reader understand, meaning he's talking about some events that are coming very close. So here's what takes place. The Christians left, but the Jews, in November 66, the Jews forced to beat the 12th Roman legion. Or defeated them. With that victory, the people of Jerusalem had to make a decision. Stay in Jerusalem and fight the coming Romans or flee while there was still time because Jerusalem could not stand. There were two groups. One, those who had, quote, faith in their God and ran into the city for protection and to stand against the Gentiles. And that's what they did. Instead of fleeing the city, they all, and that's what you can see. You can read the history. They all ran. Groups ran into the city and they started fighting inside the city. So now they've run into the city, which is basically running into a death trap. To those that had faith in the Messiah, Jesus, who says, when you see this, run, they left. In fact, that's when John, the apostle, would have gone up north to Ephesus and with Mary, either, you know, right before this or, you know, when they're going to Decapolis, John might have gone up to Ephesus. But he did go to Ephesus, and it was about this time, and he took Mary with him. The top of page four, the Christians saw the hopelessness of the Jews against Rome and they knew Jesus' words and they left the city in large groups unhindered by the Romans between November 66 and April 68. So between 66 and April of 68 AD, the Christians were like fleeing the city, just loading up the U-Hauls and just taking off. And no one stopped them. The Romans are still approaching. They've been defeated. Uh, they're, they're still, roads are open. And the, the Christians are leaving. Now, the war is happening. There's battles being fought. Josephus is up in Galilee fighting Vespasian and loses and is brought in as a captive. And so Josephus has already lost and become over to the Roman side. So the wars are taking place, but they're still away from Jerusalem. So that's, the Christians are fleeing at that time. Um, at that time, 
Next point, point, I guess it's 12 in the Roman numerals on top of page 3. The zealots defiled the temple between November 67 and April of 68. So 67, the fall to the spring of 68. This right here, if you want to make the abomination that causes desolation during the Jewish wars, this is it right here. If the Christians haven't left yet, they're still on the Temple Mount. They're still meeting in Solomon's Colonnade. Remember, the Jew, we're talking not Gentile Christians. We're talking about Jewish Christians. So that the, the Temple Mount is their religious center. So they're not like, well, we can't go to the Temple. They're still going. To, they're meeting. Acts says they met along these walls right here. On the other side of these walls right here. Solomon's Colonnade, they ran all the way around. They had meet. It was, had one, two, three large pillars with beams across. There's a large walkway portico that they could be out of the sun, they could have chairs, they could sit, whatever they want to do, and they, would, they were meeting on, on the Temple Mount. So again, hypothetically, not hypothetically, they were doing that. How long did they continue to do it during these years? The point being, it's during, no, from November of 67 to April of 68, if you are a Christian that hasn't already packed your U-Haul and headed to Decapolis like you know you should, and you're still on the Temple Mount, you're going to see something that's like, okay, we're done here. Maybe there's hope. You, in 66 AD, they defeated the 12th Roman legion. It's like, maybe so. Hezekiah stood up for God. Maybe we're standing up for God. Maybe. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows? But at this time, the zealots, in April of 68, the zealots moved their forces onto the Temple Mount. They took over the Temple Mount and turned it into a military base. So now you've got people using the temple for military and also allowed secular men and even criminals, this is according to Josephus, to move about in the holy place. So people that are not even religious, even people that are criminals, murderers, are up on the temple mount using it as a military base. And if you're a Christian, you're still having church on Solomon's Colonnade, it's kind of like, this looks like an abomination that causes death. Because this temple is completely desecrated for Jewish law by the Jews themselves the zealots who are fighting for the freedom of Zion. So sometime in December of 67 or February of 68, the zealots appointed their own high priest, a man named Phanny. P-H-A-N, P-H-A-N, you pronounce it how you want to. So now you've got a man, he's not a priest, he's one of the zealots, he's now the high priest in the Temple Mount, going wherever he wants to go. So this is a man that is an abomination. So the he standing where he should not, he should not be standing there, for example. <clears throat> now, does this nullify the fact that Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple? No. Does this nullify what Paul's going to say in 2 Thessalonians? No, because we're getting there. The false high priest, Fanny, may have been the he that stood where he should not stand. The Jewish Christians who had been meeting in the temple mount uh, would have fled at this time if you're not gone by April of 68, uh, you're doomed. And so the, the, this would be a good chance the zealots could have desecrated the temple themselves. And then just for your information, 132 to 135, the Bar Kokhba revolt, after uh, Hadrian defeated the Jews, he sets up on the temple. The temple's already gone, but the Jews try to rebuild and do have their own little sh sh shelter going there. But he sets up a statue of Zeus, he puts a temple to Zeus where the temple of God stood. 
and then even put a statue of himself and following him, his son, the one who followed him, put a, a statue up beside it. And one of, the, one of those statues, you can see the base of it. If you know where this is at, in this right here, this picture right here is looking right, goes up these steps, and right there at the double gate, there's a stone above the double gate in the wall. It's upside down, but it's Latin. And it's the base, it's the bottom of a statue, and it says, again, you've got the, you got the Latin right there, Hadrian's inscription. It's actually Antonius uh, Pius's inscription, because there's a statue of Hadrian and a statue of Antonius Pius. And uh, they would have looked, they both had beards, they would have looked the same, so someone could have thought they were, in fact, the Bordeaux pilgrim thought they were both Hadrian. But clearly, this right here, it says, To Titus Elias Hadrianus, Antonius Augustus Pius, the father of the fatherland, the pontiff augur decreed by the Decurians. And that's what that says. It's a stone, it's upside down, and that it would be the base of a statue that would have stood by Hadrian uh, and would have stood in front of the temple to Zeus on the temple. So that's, that would be, again, an example of an abomination. Turn the page. Now, we've said 167 fulfilled part of it. It could have been between the first Jewish wars, uh, the Romans the, causing it, or the Jews causing it. It could have been, you know, the Bar Kokhba revolt. That would have fit. But you've got to go to 2 Thessalonians, if you don't mind. 2 Thessalonians, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> and this is, I mean, I, again, I... I I understand why a person considers this, the uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes that fulfilled Daniel's prophecy because he did fulfill a particular verse. It can only be that verse. I can see why someone would say, well, this looks like uh, the, war of the fall of Jerusalem looks like it, it took place. True. But now you've got being written, around, this is 51 A.D., This is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, or yeah, the Thessalonians. And I just want you to listen to this. Now, particularly what I want you to listen to is remember the abomination that causes desolation, he standing. It, it, the, the verb is masculine. The, the, the verb, the participle is, is, is neuter. But he's standing where he should not be standing. Matthew is going to refer to this being in the temple. Now, <clears throat> I think Paul, what Mark is writing, he's not pulling out of the air. He's quoting Jesus as most likely was relayed to him by Peter. It's not secret information. That's why Ma Matthew wrote the same thing, maybe before Mark. Luke writes around it, using very similar stuff, information. Paul, having spent time with the apostles in Jerusalem, definitely would have known about Jesus' words. <clears throat> so I want you to hear in here, chapter 2, of Paul developing the he standing with the abomination that causes desolation. He develops that right here. In fact, he just simply comes right out and says what Mark was writing about in almost like undercover. 
Chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning the parousia. There it is. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our being gathered to Him. There's the rapture. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. So once, ahead, once already, again, it's totally natural to hear about the end times and the, the first rea- my first reaction. I mean, I remember getting excited in 1976 about the return of Christ and, and, and having a, t- a, a time chart all drawn out. It's like, oh my gosh. And then looking for it looks, it could be soon. Look what's happening in the world. There's wars. There's another earthquake. It looks like the, it's like, oh, we're out of here. And then remember when you're really young, it's like, oh, but I want to grow up and get married and have a family, and, you know, before Jesus comes back. I don't know if you ever thought that. I remember thinking that. And then, then I did grow up and got married and had a family. It's like, I was ready for Jesus to come back. <laughs> it's like, no, not again. But it's like, you know, you're working all the time. You know, it's like, you know, when you're young, it's like life is exciting. Then when you get in the middle of life, it's like, oh, it's not that exciting, which you need to endure. But anyway, these people also got excited about the return of Christ. Once, once he throws it out there, I'm going to come back. It's like, when? When, when is this over? <clears throat> uh, don't let anyone deceive you. Now, again, I've already done a teaching on this in, in, a, in a book where, this parallels Matthew. I mean, Jesus is just like going right down Matthew, the same, Paul is going right down Matthew with the same points. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, that the, the parousia of Christ and our being gathered to him will not come until the rebellion occurs. Now there's a rebellion. Okay, here, here we go, here we go. There is a rebellion or a falling away. This rebellion is a word that refers to a, a, a switching of sides, like switching a political party or, or fighting with this army and now you switched allegiances. This, this rebellion is the switching of allegiances. You used to be a Christian and now you're not. That's the whole idea of, of being deceived, of being betrayed, and, you know, it's like, oh, there's a bunch of us Christians. Then all of a sudden, there's not so many. A bunch of them have switched sides. That's what that word would mean. If you switch political parties, you switch armies, you switch from this team to this team, or you switch from this religion to this religion. But first, there's going to be a falling away or a rebellion. Um, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And now you're going to have a man lawless is going to be revealed and i think this is what history is revolving on satan has maybe been trying to get this man revealed throughout time i mean it could be anybody he just needs to be in the right place and we can and it's like god keeps stopping this because it's not time that's why you're so close the the uh, the antiochus epiphanies or titus or hadrian or all the way through is is it's like close but no and it was like then we're going to have this so even there we're buying time here there's going to be a falling away a man of lawless is revealed (coughs) the man doomed to destruction he right there he this man will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called god 
or is worshipped, so that, how much so? And so that looks like he's outside, where anything that's called God, or anything that's worshipped, he's setting himself up above God, even to the place that he actually sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So he's going to call himself God, uh, we just say universally, all around the world, potentially, but eventually he's going to go to the temple in Jerusalem, and he's going to say, I am God. He is gonna, and there you have the he in the place he doesn't belong. There you have the abomination of desolation. And again, the he, the man, in the place. And now again, this temple now is, is desecrated. It, it, it can't be used anymore for Jewish purposes. <clears throat> now, don't you remember, he says, that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. <clears throat> and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So something's holding him back. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And that secret power of lawlessness is trying to bring about the man of law. See right there? Already the secret power of lawlessness is working. It may have been working since the beginning of time. It's working to do what? It's working to bring about this man of lawlessness that's going to set himself up as God. But it's being held back. Uh, it, 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 the secret power of laws is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. When whoever's holding it back, and it's going to be God's power, God's in charge of whoever, whatever's holding it back. But when he, God's ready, that will be re- removed, and this man will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming." That's the parousia. When Jesus Christ reveals himself in glory, this man is destroyed. So there you've got the abomination of desolation at the parousia. I mean, you can't, you can't, you, you can look at the Maccabean revolt and say, yes, there it was. You can dance around the Jewish revolt or the Jewish wars, 66, 70 AD. Was it the Romans? Was it the Zealots? Was it the priests that the Zealots put in place? It's, it's all happening. But either way, it's still here, uh, and it matches. And this is the ultimate fulfillment. Uh, we'll overthrow the, with his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So there's going to be people that are perishing. And so this is going to convince. Now, we may look at this and go, well, that's stupid. No man is a god. No man who, if some guy marched on the temple tomorrow morning and set himself up on the temple in a chair and says, I am God, it, it may not even make the news. Uh, it, 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 it may, but some, you know, it'd be interesting. But, what, but this is going to be so powerful that those that have, re- well, let me read it. Those who are perishing, I mean those that have rejected Jesus Christ, just like the Jews when they defeated the 12th Roman legion in 66 AD, they were perishing because they'd rejected Jesus Christ. They'd rejected his words. They'd rejected his life. They rejected his warnings. And now they're going to fight for the, the freedom of Jerusalem. It's like, it's a deception. You're not going to win. But they believed it. They thought they could, because the Christians that accepted Christ they left. Or the Jews that had accepted Christ, they left. The Jews that had rejected Christ, they accepted the delusion that we can win. And they perished. 
those who are perishing, they'll perish because they refuse to love the truth. That's not talking about 66, 70 AD, although it happened there. And so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion that they will believe the lie. And again, it's almost like that happened in, in 66 AD when they defeated the 12th Roman legion. God says, here, defeat one of the legions and see what that convinces you of. I think we can win. This is going to be a bigger, they're going to see something here. There's going to be something here. You and I may not, or you or I may. There's going to be a rebellion. Something's going to happen that many are going to fall away. If I'm one of those that fall away because of persecution, you know, something, you know, I mean, I could fall away. I mean, we don't know. And then when this happens, like, oh my gosh, you buy into it. It's going to be so believable uh for this reason god sends a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted (coughs) in wickedness now uh what is interesting about what i just said about this rebellion and you know i don't know maybe i could that's where you get in the book of jude and we're going to see it in jude (laughs) you can see it other places uh that the apostles talk about god in a sense, keeping them. He who is able to preserve you or keep you. It's like, and what I said, I just want to stop and make a comment because I do, I, I question myself. I mean, we all should, you know, you know, like Paul says, examine ourselves. And I look at, could I forsake Christ? Could I be deceived? It's like, oh my gosh, yes, I, I, I could. But then you've got like, in the New Testament, it's like, yeah, but if you are Christ, he will, he will keep you. He will preserve you. Um, and so once again, just like your salvation, I didn't earn it, but now that I, I am saved because of Christ, I'm going to remain in Christ because of Christ. And once again, it's like, my hope is not in Galen. I know Jesus saved me, but God, I hope Galen can hang on. It's like, okay, if Jesus saved you, Jesus is going to keep you. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, well, I'll just sit back and it, it, you continue to grow which is a sign now we go back to peter and james the fact that you continue to pursue christ is a sign that you are saved if you can walk away and say well i just saved by you know god's just saved me it's like well you probably weren't saved <clears throat> and now i sound like a calvinist right there okay okay all right let's go where are we at for time okay um so that is just reading Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. I did point this out. Um, you see, right above there, it's interesting. I don't, I don't expect you to uh, embrace this, but I do want you to know this. Because just like we have, we have the Word of God that we know is infallible, but we also have people that are teaching, people that are explaining it, people that that we say, you know, they know what they're talking about, they put the piece together, and they've studied this, and they've drawn a conclusion. We read their books, we listen to their sermons, we, we take notes from them. Uh, that is what we're looking at right here on the top of page four, <coughs> called the Didache. Now, the Didache is a first century document. It is not scripture. It never was scripture. But it definitely, there's no doubt about it, it was in the first century. And it was widespread. It circulated through many of the churches. It was a collection of teachings. In fact, another one is the teachings of the 12 apostles. In fact, the word didache means 
doctrines or teachings. It's a collection of, it's kind of like, okay, you could go today to a church seminar on uh, how to start satellite churches. You've got yourself a mega church, and now we're going to branch out into some rural communities and have some satellite churches. So we've, we've asked you all here today because you're all going to be starting and he, heading up being a, uh, a, a leader of the, of the church. And we've got ourselves a little handbook here. Here is how to, all scriptural information on how to start a church. And here's, some, here's how you deal with, you've got to have this kind of organization. This is how you're going to fi- do your, your finances. And this is how you're going to find people to work in your Sunday school. And these are just some guidelines. And we'd like to, you know, you're not saying this is scripture. You're just saying, this is what we have found works in churches. The Didache is a collection of information from the first century, claimed to be by the apostles, but it's at least by people that were disciples of the apostles. It's at least from the first century, and it's, here's how you do church. This is the things you teach. These are the things you look out for. Don't go this way. It's just kind of like, you know, if you're going to go out on your own and have a church, here, take this with you. Follow this step-by-step guide. That's kind of what it is, if that makes sense. We're not saying it's scripture, but... In this Didache, it was written sometime between 70 and 100 A.D. Uh, this is the last chapter of this book. It, it, you know, look how long the chapter is. It's only eight verses. <coughs> here, I just want you to see this right here. Uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Watch concerning your life. Let not your lamps be quenched or your loins be loosed. But be ye ready, for ye know not the hour which the Lord cometh. Right? There's what we heard. Don't stop looking. You don't know when he's coming, so don't stop and think he's coming. Just keep working like he's not coming, and just keep looking for him. You're working like, when's this over? But be ye gathered together frequently. In other words, get together often and talk about it. Seeking what is suitable for your souls, for the whole time of your faith shall profit you not unless you be found perfect in the last time. Meaning, if you're part of that, I'm in the faith, but then the rebellion takes place and you fall away, doesn't matter how much time you spent if you didn't stand firm in the end because, you know, you shouldn't fall away if you're really there. For in the last days, false prophets and seducers shall be multiplied, and the sheep shall be turned into wolves, and love shall be turned into hate. Now again, you can, you can just develop that if you want to. Here's the verse I'm looking for. It's underlined. And because iniquity aboundeth, they shall hate each other and persecute each other and deliver each other up. And then shall be, oh, excuse me, then shall the deceiver of the world appear as the Son of God and shall do signs and wonders and the earth shall be delivered into his hands and he shall do unlawful things such as have never happened since the beginning of the world. Not scripture, but I do want to point out right here, the deceiver the Antichrist, the abomination that causes desolation, Paul says he will set himself up in the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. The Didache says he sets himself up as he, if he were the Son of God, which is it's the same thing. We're not, we're not talking. I just want you to notice, when we say God, that sounds broad. But when we say Son of God, we're thinking 
more like Jesus or the Christ, that he's imitating Jesus or the Christ or is the Antichrist. He's not known as the anti-God. He's known as the Antichrist. He's going to set himself up as if he were Christ himself. So you can see that falling away is not going to be into secularism or humanism or even postmodernism, although that's hard to imagine that not being part of it. It's going to be falling away from the true Christ into another Christ. It's another, definitely scripturally, it's another, it's, it's God. He, he calls himself God, but he's a man. Well, if he's a man and he calls himself God, well, he would be what we identify as the Son of God. It's just interesting <clears throat> that the, the first century church, Mark is talking about he that's standing, the abomination that he is standing. Paul says he's a man in the temple. He's the man of lawlessness, saying he's God. The next step is that man not just says he's God, he's saying he is the Son of God, which, again, we call the Antichrist. It, it, it fits in with it. But it's just interesting, I thought, to see that take place right there. Well, I have to quit. Um, the thing, I, you look at that last page five, if you want to read through that page five right there, especially point four. Um, I wanted to end with this right here. Of course, I, I, I need to start again and end smoother. Uh, but point 4a, the purpose of these words is to give us an attitude. They are to prepare our hearts for a life of endurance and service. Knowing Jesus coming back, we're watching him, but you're not planning on it. You're not counting on it. The purpose of these words is not to give us knowledge so that we can be relieved from enduring or released from our responsibility or delivered from having to wait. Understand what I said? Knowledge. I want to read these verses and figure out the chart and have insight and, and find out the mystery. So I no longer have to live in, as a mystery. I know when Jesus is coming back. It's like, no, that's exactly, no. <clears throat> You'll never know when Jesus is coming back. You have to endure, be responsible, and wait. Any kind of knowledge that gives you a timeline that releases you from your responsibility or relieves you from having to endure, that's not the point. And that leads on to this point right here. Uh, Jesus was not giving these disciples a salvation of knowledge of ex to escape uh, or of escape and ease, but a way of life that would produce faithfulness, endurance, and continuation of, of standing your ground as you wait. The mystery remains. We, in a sense, uh, Jesus' words do not remove the mysteries, but instead empower us to live in the mystery. That's that's that's. I could not understand that when I was 25, even 35. But I'm getting more and more to the place that there's things that I cannot understand that I study and study, but you can't, you can't get behind that. You can't see that. It's hidden. So I'm, I'm left here. Why did that happen? Well, and here's, here's Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And then I put down Job right here. Job is, you know, eventually questioned by God. He says, who is this... Uh, who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge. And he tells him, you know, stand up, I'm going to question you. And Job, after two chapters of being ripped by God, says, then Job answered the Lord. After 40 chapters of talking, after 40 years of Bible teaching, Job finally says this, Behold, 
I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. I do not know what's going on. All I know is that God is a God, that Jesus Christ is Savior, and I'm called to stay here, do my job, and endure. When this all happens, we, it's a mystery. And if you think you figured it out, you haven't. You know. And so, with that word, I'll pray, and we are done. Father, we thank you for a chance to look into these things. We ask that we may continue to walk in your ways, that we may learn to endure, that we may learn to serve you and, and produce the fruit you've called us to. We do look forward to your return. We do anticipate with joy the, the entering into your kingdom. But, Father, we do ask that we would, again, stand our ground today and do the things you've called us to and ask that you'd continue to lead and guide us and give us the strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here.